Hello, everyone, and welcome to this latest official Everton podcast with me, Darren Griffiths. And I am delighted to say Dan Meese, the man who designed the new stadium at Bramley Moor Dock, which is looking more and more impressive with every passing day. Now, all of the questions I'm about to put to Dan have been submitted by supporters who receive our monthly newsletter. Naturally, some of the questions weren't necessarily pertinent to Dan himself, but fear not, the club will look at them all and add as many as possible to the FAQ section on the Everton Stadium website. Dan, fabulous to see you again. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. The first question that I've got for you from the fans is, if you could go back in time, is there anything you would add or anything you would change to the stadium design that you came up with? <laughs> well, I, I, I'm quite sure the fans would say a few more seats. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um... You know, I, I, I think it's, it's pretty well known. I've had a lot of um, uh, spirited back and forth with the fans about capacity. And I think um, I, I really do think that we worked pretty hard to get the building right size. But I'm actually really happy with it. You know, it's one of those things that when when a building's finished, it's always, gee, I wish I would have uh, maybe looked at that color differently or <laughs> made that reveal a little bit bigger or something like that. But, um, you know, right now it's. It's all feeling very exciting and, and and very happy with how it's coming along. So are we, so are we, absolutely. Uh, just another question on the, the, the design of the new stadium. Which, which building or project have you worked on previously that maybe gave you a bit of inspiration for the design of our stadium, Dan? One of the um, interesting references, I think, that I was inspired by um, were some of the older baseball uh, venues in the U.S. Um, because I was really interested in the sort of similarities that uh, English football grounds grew up over time, you know, unlike the new building where you do it all at once, typically you had a pitch and there was a stand. And then as the club became more popular, a, a new stand would be built or be expanded, sometimes different engineers, sometimes different architects. So they grew up to be these kind of quirky buildings, um, not necessarily the same all the way around. Baseball stadiums in the U.S. were very similar to that. Um, so that was one of the things we looked at early. And that was um, kind of the uh, light bulb about the idea of bringing some of the brick and the traditional aspects of the dock into the project as well. Um, because often those projects grew out of the specific context of their building. We don't design it on paper and then put it on a site. You look at the site and kind of design the building out of the site. That became very inspirational to Everton. The site was under previous UNESCO restrictions. Had it not been under UNESCO restrictions, would you have done things slightly differently? No, I don't think so. I think, you know, I think there was always a concern that um, whatever we did on the dock was going to raise questions uh, with the, the World Heritage. But, um, but we were respectful of those things anyway. Um, you know, we didn't want it to be too big, and we certainly wanted it to feel like it had always been there and, and or grown out of the site, something I say a lot, um, and drawing on the material. So uh, my personal feeling about the UNESCO controversy, if you will, was that I think it's a shame to try and protect something by doing nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the dock was kind of falling into the water, and, and, and the area was really kind of in disrepair. And the only way you can protect something like that is to make it viable. And 
And so I really feel like that was a little upside down from, um, you know, the way UNESCO looked at it, because eventually it would have been worth nothing. And now it will become a very vibrant part of the city. Everybody, as you know, fell in love with the design when they first saw it. Everybody also fell in love with your original sketches, which are fabulous. Mm. Uh, how, how many hours did you spend on those sketches? How, how, many, how, many, reams of, how many reams of paper did you throw away, Dan? <laughs> it's a lot. It is part of my process, and um, I, and it's it's something I learned very early in my career, the idea of just a little scribble um, on a scrap of paper uh, is, is a way of, for me, it's often not what I'm trying to draw, but what I see out of the corner of my eye. Um, so this, that, that process of very quick and visceral um, thinking often leads to the big idea. And in this case, there was a sketch where it was just, just this little idea of a wave coming over the brick of the docks. And that really did become a big idea for the design. From your original concept sketches, how close is the current external perspective to, to, to your initial thoughts? I will tell you, it's it's shockingly close. You know, I, I um, and and I I'm kind of due for my next trip. I was supposed to be there last week. I think you know it. And the train strike kind of got in my way, but um, mm. but I've got to. I'll be back soon. And but the latest images that I've seen. Um, it's kind of shocking how similar it is to one of the renderings uh, that we did. And, you know, that's that's really a testament to everybody in the process, not just the design, obviously, but, uh, you know, from from the the board side of supporting the design to the um, uh, the builder and and the process of building it, that that often the design can kind of get watered down or stripped away in order to either reduce cost or to save time or solve a problem. But in this case, it's been very true to the original design and I, I'm thrilled about that. So there was nothing that you had to compromise on the final design that you're looking back, you really wish you, you'd have been able to keep? You know, I don't think so. I um, I mean, there are always ideas. I, I, I know the fans have been interested in you know, what are we bringing from Goodison? But in general, uh, the design is, has been so protected from the very beginning, largely because we, I think we, we spent a lot of time really thinking about how to get the size right, how to get the capacity right. And it's not a super frilly kind of building. You know, we didn't have a lot of fat in this design that we would want to, or possibly have to take out. Um, you know, there was a, there was a joke early in the process. I know as fans jumped in, uh, you know, about the cheese room at Tottenham and, you know, <laughs> that's not who we are. Uh, no, so, no. you know, there wasn't a lot of that kind of stuff that we had to eventually uh, lose out for one reason or another. The home end down where all the Evertonians that, that, that will be behind one of the goals, is that going to be a, a two-tiered stand? Is that going to be a one-tiered stand? And if so, if it is going to be a one-tiered stand, was that always the plan? Well, the the plan was definitely to make it feel like a one-tier stand. Um, the reality is, is the way you you enter it. Um, the the difficulty with doing a, a complete one-tier stand is that um, while it looks intimidating from inside the pitch, it doesn't function very well uh, because you've got to load fans all the way up and all the way down. You get very long 
um, step aisles and, and it's actually quite intimidating. Um, not, not so much intimidating to the pitch, but to some fans to, you know, climb the, uh, to the top of the stand. So mm-hmm. you do enter, it, it is split and, and you go up or down, which is much better for, um, both in, uh, egress and ingress of the stadium, but we've designed it in a way to be very steep and right on top of the pitch that it really will feel like that yellow wall of Dortmund. What's the space like between the seats? What's the leg room going to be like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was afraid I was going to get that question because I don't have my uh, my bowl designer who you know rattles off the figures. But what I can be very clear about is that it's going to be better than what everyone experiences at Goodison. It's funny though, <laughs> you know, it's a question that like on one hand, every one of the fans wants to pack more people in and, you know, whatever we can do to get more people in, which would take away space. Uh, and then on the other hand, they want a, you know, nice, big, comfortable seat. <laughs> <laughs> just put lo- just put lots of leg room in the press area. That's all I want. <laughs> yeah, I think, the, I think people will be pleasantly surprised. The North Stand upper doesn't mirror the height of the rest of the stadium stands. Why, why is that? Right. Yeah, I've, I've gotten a lot of questions about this on, on Twitter as well. I think, it, again, it kind of gets back to everyone's, um, you know, kind of inherent wish that, that it could be bigger and could we have put more seats in. Part of the issue there is that we really are um, sightline to sightline with the building. Ultimately, in working it all out, um, we do, with where you see the construction right now, come right up to the site boundary. But it also worked in that we were very conscious. I can't tell you how many um, times people ask me whenever I would use the word bowl, um, <laughs> which is just something we use. We, we say generically for the seating area of the stadium. But but most people uh, took that to mean that it was going to be a continuous round, um, you know, kind of like uh, uh, West Ham Stadium or you know, others like that, they were a very continuous round bowl. Uh, we were very intent from the very beginning on having the stands all be a bit different. And again, it gets back to what I was saying before about uh, the history of English football and how uh, they grew up over time and the stands were often different just because they were built at different times. In this case, we get that kind of quirkiness in the building that makes it more interesting. They're not all the same. Um, and so it was. It was kind of one of those physical constraints that ended up supporting the design idea. There's another question, Dan, that's clearly got Goodison Park in mind. Have all area have all service areas been designed to minimise queues? <laughs> well, compared to Goodison, definitely yes. <laughs> it, it's yeah. When we do a building now, any new building, there the the, the codes. Um, the sort of driver around uh, uh, the experience for the fans in terms of being able to get to get whether it's toilets or concessions or any wherever they might queue concourses are wider Um, again anyone who's been to one of the newer buildings knows the difference between how tight things are at Goodison and and what you would see now so I again that's going to be one of those it's probably going to feel massive to people who have been you know, going to Goodison for generations. Uh, next question. We're going to move on now to the sort of exits and the dispersal after matches and the arriving at the stadium. 55,000 fans, you clearly can't arrive from all four angles, 
What are the potential logistical issues with having 55,000 fans arriving and exiting just from the east side of the stadium? Uh, yeah, it's it's a reasonable question, and it was um, it, it was again something that you know we realized from the very beginning that when when you look at a site like this that has the the drama and the power of being on the mercy like that 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 it was uh, different than having a building that you could um, uh, attack from all sides. The 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 answer to it is that there's a lot of plans about how. Uh, the local infrastructure will be upgraded to be able to deal with it. A lot of it becomes a kind of um, game day planning uh, in, in the way roads are closed and access is restricted and, and um, enhanced to allow it to happen. So it, it's, um, you know, it's not going to be without some challenge, I think. Um, mm. But I think it's, it's more of a planning thing. And, uh, and I believe that in the end, certainly any kind of compromise in it was was certainly worth the power of of being in that uh, location somebody's asked if you think there are enough exits in the south stand especially the upper tier oh yeah we um again these things aren't something we sort of decide based on a design issue they're all very driven around um number of seats and per area and and width of concourse width of stair number of number of stairs they all have to be pretty stringent codes. Uh, here's an interesting question for you. Is there a 21st century solution to getting fans to and from the stadium? Well, you know, this gets back to what we were saying before. Again, it's 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 not a site that you approach from every direction. Um, so it is going to require a lot of planning and a lot of game day um, operationally uh, or operational planning. But, um, you know, one thing I've learned over time is that uh, it always, it, it's always a worry. And yet it's, it's one of those things that every fan figures out how they're going to get to the game, <laughs> whether it's Absolutely. their particular route or, uh, you know, I Uber to here and then I walk to there or I take public transportation to here. And, and it, it becomes a kind of tradition thing for, for every fan. It's different. I, I designed a building, um, which is now called the crypto.com arena in downtown Los Angeles. And I remember there was all kinds of uproar about, oh my God, it's it's going to be right in the middle of these two highways in the middle of downtown. It's going to be the worst traffic ever. It's already terrible. But the fact is several hundred thousand people figure out how to get down to LA every day. <laughs> and, you know, so it, it's one of those things that it's, it's, again, it's a reasonable question, but I think they they will quickly figure themselves out. Just changing track slightly then, Dan, given the ever-increasing energy prices, which obviously are affecting everybody, how energy efficient will the new stadium be? Well, very. Again, uh, some of this is driven around, um, uh, you know, some pretty clear codes on on all aspects of, uh, of the energy requirements of the building. But there's also, uh, in particular with this building, um, a very uh, specific, program about sustainability um, in, in, in lots of different ways. This is an interesting one. Will, will any of the fixtures and fittings, the physical fixtures and fittings of Goodison, be recycled in either the new ground or, interesting suggestion, offered to other football clubs to use in their stadium? And then, you know, other clubs could benefit from the, from the Goodison Park legacy. I would guess that 
there's not a lot there that would be um, valuable to reusing. Um, it's certainly a sustainable idea if if there's something, but but you know she's a tired she's a tired building, and and I think from a historic perspective, it's a great idea from a current efficiency and um, uh, safety and codes and all the things. It's very difficult for an older building's infrastructure. Um, you know, to, to really be applicable to any new building today. We've mentioned the capacity a few times already, Dan. The, the, the capacity that was arrived at, was that a, a budgetary decision or were there structural implications? Well, I don't think, I don't think it, it could be chalked up to any one single decision. What, what uh, people um, often forget is that every seat you add um, it's not just the seat, it's the, it then increases the width of the concourse. It increases the number of toilets. It increases the number of stairs. Um, and it becomes exponential because it's volume. Mm. Um, and, and I've explained before that the, the challenge is always the, those last 10,000 seats are the most expensive to build and they're the furthest away from the pitch. And so they're not necessarily driving the revenue to pay for themselves the same way. So it is always a bit of an economic decision. The club was very aware though of, you know, the fans desire to have as many seats as possible. And so we were always testing. We were testing against cost. We were testing against what we thought the right capacity, the right size was. And we had a very physical, a real physical constraint of the site. Um, because you just, at some point as the seats go up, you hit the site boundary. So mm. it, it, it was, it, it's the one thing that if I could communicate to the fans that none of it was a flip decision. It, it, it took a long time to get to the right answer that we believe is the right answer. And, um, and it was a lot of thought with a lot of variables. But I, again, I think it, it's going to feel very intimate um, and incredibly loud and mm. um energetic you know so that was such a concern because obviously the power of goodison you know to the to the to the play on the on the pitch and all of that is so important and i really wanted to make sure we could capture that if a decision was made in the future to try and increase the capacity would it be physically possible to do so yeah i think anything's possible i think one of the things that it's always been frustrating to me that gets lost in this is that more seats isn't necessarily a good thing, even if they were free. Um, it, it, it creates um, less scarcity. And, uh, and I know fans will say, well, we would sell out every day, a hundred thousand seats, but in reality, that's uh, more of an idea than a reality. Um, and I, I, you know, I've often pointed out that um, arenas, which are a little different than stadiums, we never build them bigger than 20,000, even though Billy Joel has done like, I don't know, 50 shows at Madison Square Garden or 100 shows at Madison Square Garden. So you don't build 100,000 seats so everybody can come at one time. There, there is a need for having the kind of right size, how far away you are from the event, and um, enough scarcity that people really want to be there all the time. And they'll buy season tickets and they'll come back um, you know, to the, if there's, if there are always 10,000 seats available or 5,000 seats available, 
it, it, it becomes a different kind of problem. Back in the early stages of the development, there was talk that a, a train line extension could be built to the new ground just to ease some of the congestion on, on the streets. Is that still a possibility, do you know? Yeah, honestly, I, I don't know. I hope that's true. I, I Again, I think, um, you know, whenever you do a new building like this in an area that, um, uh, like like we have, I think this operational planning that we've been talking about, um, you know, could drive all kinds of other solutions down the road. Um, but uh, I think it's important that it's an urban stadium still. It's not quite in a neighborhood, um, you know, like Goodison is, but it's very close to downtown where lots of people, you know, come to every day. And um, so I, I, I don't think the getting there or getting away from there is going to be very difficult you know, once people just figure it out a little bit. Next question comes from a supporter who is 90 years of age and mm -hmm. finds it hard getting to the Upper Gladys Street and he or she wants to know, will there be lifts or escalators in the new ground up to the stands? Yes, yes, yes. Again, some of it's code um, driven, but um, uh, again, one of the things that will feel so much different than a building the age of Goodison is, is that kind of thing is is well taken care of. Uh, let's just speak about the atmosphere. A couple of questions about that. Will the design of the new stadium enhance the acoustic sound for crowd noise? And how satisfied are you that the new ground will really replicate the atmosphere of Goodison Park? Well, the good thing is we're back to capacity. We're already quite quite a bit bigger than Goodison Park, so there are going to be more rowdy fans. Um, one would hope on a daily basis, but uh, we were always very conscious of the idea of the the, the roof uh, providing more enclosure than what we have at Goodison, um, and and the roof itself is pretty consistent. Um, so we have looked at the acoustics of that. I think um, I think fans are going to be very surprised at how loud this building is going to be, and feeling like all that noise is right on top of the pitch. It's it's a bigger building, but it's not going to feel a lot bigger than Goodison. Just on the on the roof, is, is it possible? Somebody's asked: Is it possible to add a total roof in the future? Possibly a retractable roof. Uh, well, again, I would go back to the anything is possible with if you spend enough money and and time. But I think the roof's going to provide a lot of protection. Um, my concern about why we never really wanted to uh, advocate for a full roof is that it's very, very difficult to keep the turf healthy. Um, it's a challenge in, in the UK in general, um, in, in the buildings with, with open roofs. But once you put a retractable roof on it, um, it, it adds, well, it adds a lot of cost, first of all. It, it could be 150 to 200 million pounds to, to do a retractable roof. Um, but but it, it, it's really the condition of the building uh, and the condition of the turf when the more you close it in. I've got a few questions from the supporters now about the weather. Uh, as you mentioned, it can be rather blowy and cold down by the river. How weatherproof is the exterior of the stadium? Somebody says, bearing in mind it will be exposed regularly to the to the salt air from the from the river. Right. Well, we have thought about it a lot with what the specific materials are. Um, 
you know, I would say that I, I, I think the thing we're optimistic about is that they're hardy materials. You know, we, we looked at the brick of the dock, the, the building around uh, the docks, and, and, and that's one of the reasons it kind of draws on the, the local architecture. The, the material of the roof um, is definitely something we've, we've thought about. I, I had heard stories about how, um, how uh, uh, damaging the um, seagulls have been to some of the other buildings um, along the river. And so we've, we've talked about it quite a bit, I, I, but I, I'm confident we've gotten to it and, and uh, I think it's gonna hold up just fine. And somebody else has asked, has the stadium been future-proofed for rising sea levels, water levels, due to the potential, the prospect of climatic chaos in future decades? Mm. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it, I, I'm, I'm certainly a big believer in we should always be concerned about um, climate change and, and where everything we can do to mitigate it. And, uh, but it was, it was a very, from the very first planning, um, we were looking at where the pitch level should be. Um, and, and there were, there was a lot of data on on where water levels, flood levels, and things could be over the years, and that really did drive where we set the pitch level, and everything went up from there. So it has been taken into consideration. What are the chances of subsidence or inundation with water? Is the, is the drainage on the floor of the dock so the water doesn't build up again? Yeah, again, a lot of uh, mitigation went into in the filling of the docks in the in the uh, the canal system that connects um, all of that was built into the early planning and engineering of the building. So, um, you know, I, I think it'd be naive to say that you you never know what can happen. I've I've built mm. other buildings along rivers that uh, Paul Brown Stadium in Cincinnati. I remember it flooded while it was under construction, and it was a once in a hundred year flood. You know, um, so without climate change, those kind of things can happen. So it's not without some concern, but the building has been lifted up quite a bit because of that. And um, uh, and, and a lot of engineering and thought went into the preparation of the dock to help protect it. The final question about the weather has clearly come from somebody that's been to Sunderland or Southampton <laughs> because they want to mention, does the design of the stadium protect us from the sun? Because we I've been to those stadiums and the colors do fade on the seats there's no doubt about it mm, yeah <laughs> you know it's funny i i just noticed this over the weekend that um red seats fade a lot faster i will tell you that um, so <laughs> well that's good that's one that's one thing we don't have to worry about darker colors seem to hold up well <laughs> but um the roof is um you know obviously pretty consistent over the bowl and and i think we're we're pretty well protected. It's always, again, a bit of a balance because you really want to get the sun on the turf. And, you know, there are going to be cold days where people are going to be very happy to have the sun on their face. Um, but again, thankfully, we have, you know, beautiful blue seats that will hold up a lot better. Have you factored an Everton Museum into your design to where we can display our history? Well, and there is an incredible amount of it, um, obviously, given the the uh, the age of the club and, and um, you know, all the amazing history that it's experienced. Um, not so much a museum per se, but lots of opportunities um, in the um, 
in the stadium to display those things. But again, the, the club's well aware of how important the history is um, to the experience. And um, I think we're going to find, you know, a lot of different ways to bring that into the building. Dan, how excited are you to be coming back to uh, the new stadium size? How much are you looking forward to coming and seeing it for, you, for yourself? Yeah, I well, I've got to get there soon. I, it was frustrating that I missed it this last weekend because this the last few weeks of the addition of the roof members um, is where you really get the shape of the, the building. And now uh, it's pretty easy to fill in what's missing, you know, in your eye. And I haven't seen the brick panels up yet in person yet. So um, I'm working on it. I think it's probably going to be in the next two or three weeks. I'll get back. How supportive have the board been through all this, Dan? Well, you know, it doesn't happen without a supportive board. I, it's it's one of the things that, you know, I completely understand the frustration, um, you know, the fans have felt with, with the season. And, <laughs> you know, because I work with a lot of clubs and a lot of different sports, I'm, I'm often very philosophical about it's really hard to do, you know, to, to win uh, a league, whatever league it is, whatever sport it is. Um, so I understand that frustration, but it's undeniable that um, when you look at what's being built, that that, that took a very clear vision and um, and uh, willingness to take a lot of risk and do the right thing. Uh, the board could have picked other sites that were easier, cheaper to build by far. Um, there was a commitment from the very beginning to do something that was not only important for the future of the club, but very important to the future of the city. Um, and, 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 you know, that means non-Everton fans too. It's, it's doing something for Liverpool. So, um, you know, from the very earliest, um, uh, selection of, of the scheme that, that ultimately became what we're building, uh, the, the support's been unwavering. Um, so, you know, I, I just hope that everyone could realize that, uh, you know, whatever the challenges have been on the pitch, uh, the, the support for the building and, and the commitment to it and the risk that, that has been taken, uh, despite all of the other challenges, um, you, you just can't, you can't get a building like this built without it. And it's really amazing. Dan, as things move on, I'm sure we'll get more and more questions from the fans. But for now, thank you so much for your time and uh, can't wait to see you back down at, uh, at the Bramley Moor site.